0: What is going on? My name is Michael Hacker, and this is the Hacker Outdoors podcast. This is episode number four with my next guest and return guest, Joey McCormick. Let's jump right in, Joe. So, you know, thanks for joining us again. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, what's been going on in the past couple of weeks? I know you just started a new league. You were telling me about it. You had a, a tournament last weekend.
1: Yeah, I fished with the. Let me get the exact name here, so I can get it right. Um, the Pennsylvania. It's the ABA American Basses American Bass League uh, series. It's the ABA. The same as I fish when it's like coes and boaters. Um, but when I fish the Maryland Virginia v- division of that, it's coes versus coes, boaters versus boaters. Um, this division they have is everybody against everybody. So uh there still is co-anglers, but the co-anglers are also competing against the boaters and the other co-anglers. So it's everybody against everybody. Um, that was on the Chesapeake Bay last Saturday. It, it went well. Really good weather. Um, I ended up in sixth place. That's awesome. Caught. I had... F- throughout the day I had my limit real early probably within the first two hours um and then throughout the rest of the day I caught a couple small guys nothing that would call any of my fish out and then with about three minutes left on the way in I caught one more fish it's probably about a two pounder to call out one of my real small guys so overall it was a good day the, the <laughs> weight wasn't there that I was looking for um six is a good finish
0: well like you were saying it's it's a little bit tough nowadays or at least in the fall to be catching fish so i, I think that's that's awesome so I, yeah
1: pretty... it's funny because th- there was another tournament going on and uh the team that was leading that for the first day had 24 pounds <laughs> the wow. one guy caught a nine pounder wow so some of the weights were real um there was a wide gap in some of the weights you know some guys were catching huge ones and some guys were catching small ones but yeah pretty typical of the fall
0: wow that's that's something man oh, yeah. i was just on uh one of the facebook new jersey fishing groups and this guy posted that you know, we were talking about last time you and i were on this together about the uh, california bass being these massive creatures and i think we were talking about down in florida i forget the name of the um the lake you were telling me about but someone posted a photo they were using one of those massive baits it was like had to have been a foot long, multi like multi layered, had joints in it so that it would look like it's swimming shad. And this guy caught a massive bass. I am always very skeptical when I look online and find pictures, especially on forums and Facebook, like of things that people are catching, but like this bass was beautiful. Wherever he caught it, it was gorgeous looking. And, you know, it wasn't like one of those where he was holding it out in front of him so it looked like it was massive. It was yeah. pretty close to him and you can tell this was a, a big bass. So you can definitely still catch them, but I mean I think that you know, I haven't done the Chesapeake, but I'm assuming it's kinda
1: like what it is up here right now. It's a little slow. It, it was a little slow. A lot of the other guys in, in um the competition I was fishing didn't do as well as uh, us in the top, really top six, because after the top six, nobody had a limit. Everybody we had was scattered, like one, two, fish maybe. And there was only six of us who caught a limit. So it, it was tough, but, you know, like I said, that other tournament, that that, that one team, it was a team tournament, uh, they cracked a huge bag. Um, they're locals, but it was nuts to see the kid's nine pounder on there, and I, I think he was fishing the same area we were in. Um, he, he just got the big one off. I mean, I, I was hooked up with one that we lost at the boat. That that it was a five pounder, easy. Wow. Um, it was on a crankbait but with, with the crankbaits you know, if they don't eat that thing, there's a good chance you can lose them here or there because they'll just kind of swipe at the back. Hooks. Just we couldn't get it in. After yeah the belly came off. That was a heartbreaker.
0: I had that with a fluke I caught a couple weeks ago, right? I was getting him out of the surf and he was he bit the back of the crankbait and as soon as I got him up onto the sand he flopped right off of the thing and swam away.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean this fish hit my crankbait and it, it stopped me. Like it, it it stopped the line and I mean it was a huge fish. Uh I'm, I'm guessing it, it just—you could see on the crank because it was a new crankbait I was throwing. You could see where where it bit, kind of, because you could see the paint was scratched from his teeth, and it it just had the back part of it. So, you know, uh, I, I'm not a huge crankbait guy. I'm I'm beginning to like the more and more here lately. But uh, that was a tough fish, but it was a good tournament. It was fun. It was nice. The weather—I think it was like 73 that day. It's been unbelievably beautiful, right? Uh, well, today. It's not,
0: but <laughs> we finally had a fall. Yeah, we went hiking, I think, that weekend you were fishing. And um, I always bring my tenkara rod, which is behind me somewhere. Oh, here it is. And, um, you know, a nice little wet fly backcountry, 12-foot long tenkara rod. And it, I, we always keep this just in the backpack along with my fishing net. And I have it up here because I'm trying to rearrange my stuff a little bit. and um, we get there's this it's called the there's this little brook I won't name where it is it's coming out of um, this pond I'll call it a pond and goes down into the series of cascading falls and I'm like I'm gonna bring a rod and you know I checked the forums didn't find anyone who's fished there that has talked about it at least um, but uh, for all intents and purposes it looked like it would be a good brook trout stream um, you know it had all the right characteristics and, and and then it dumped into one of the major fishing rivers here in Jersey. And nothing. I mean, <laughs> you know, you get used to fishing and just not catching anything sometimes, especially when you're going to new waters and you're not really used to what um, with the terrain or anything like that. I've never been here before. Um, but you probably saw on my Instagram page that I, I we get down to the main river where this uh, brook dumps into it. And I'm fishing from the bank there. I don't have my waders on me because we had just hiked five miles. And I was not hiking five miles either with the waders or with them on. And Donna's with me. And I'm just kind of cast. And she's hanging out on the bank. And I got my uh, fly stuck in a tree across the river. So um, it was my only olive color woolly bugger. So I decided to not going to leave it there Um, and cross the river, the freezing river, even though it was beautiful out. The water was still really cold. Um and just called it a day. I was like, screw this. I'm I'm done. I'm done after that, man. Like, no more, no more in me. But then we went to the beach the next day because it was so gorgeous. We went down to Sandy Hook, and um, I we went down there a couple times this summer. I think I remember telling you it it was packed. This was just as packed as it was in the middle of summer, and they only had one bathroom open, so there was garbage everywhere. It's a carry in, carry out park. People just leaving trash everywhere, but there had to have been a good 50, 60 fishermen up and down this stretch of the beach. And yeah, it's cr- crazy, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I brought my stuff. I always do when I go down there and, um, you know, tried my hand at some striper fishing or, you know, a tog or blackfish, as they call it, um, you know, along the rocks, should be hitting now. And I, I fished for probably four hours straight. I had a single bite and I lost. I lost two of my um, lures, and I got so annoyed. I was like, all right, sunset, let's leave. I'm done. And I should have (laughs) stayed through sunset, but I was just, you know, you lose a couple lures, and you're just like, for no reason at all, getting stuck in rocks or whatever, and you're just like, I'm done. Like, calling it a day. Like, nope, I'm good. Go get some surf taco, hang out with the wife downtown Red Bank,
1: and we'll we'll go home. That's it, and go home. Everybody has those days. I mean, we were off fishing these docks on Saturday and when you're fishing real tight docks from the back of the boat and you're left-handed and you got to make like these really precise pitches and casts it's hard from the back
0: I don't know what you're talking about I'm a professional at that
1: oh yeah you are <laughs> you, you, I mean, you can skip a bait like 300 miles I'm pretty sure you could do it across the country Oh my but gosh! when you're in the back of these boats you know you, you have the power poles you got to contend with <laughs> You got the motor, you got the, the, the console. I mean, you got a real tight area on some of these boats and, you know, it made for some fun, uh, difficult cast on Saturdays and snagging. I mean, it, it was a tough day, but you know, the bite was good, but it, it, you know, it, it's I, never fun losing baits.
0: <laughs> but, but I always, you know, I, I, kind of like the challenge of, of of it too sometimes right like you get annoyed you definitely want to catch fish but if you were always catching fish and you always went to the same spot and you knew exactly what they were getting like i would say it would lose its appeal Oh yeah it would be so boring yeah you want to get you know you want to catch fish for sure like that's the end goal but i mean if you're fishing for sustenance and you know this is how you're living yeah you got to catch those fish but you know as a you know, pleasure fisherman, I'll say, or leisure fisherman. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's being out on the
1: water. That's actually the fun part for me. And that's what I do. Yeah. You figure, I don't know, Saturday, let's see, what time did we finally launch? We launched in sunlight, let's say, but I think it was like 645, maybe seven. Hmm. We were out there too. I think we were all due back in at three o'clock. So Eight hours of fishing, and the time flies by, you know. And if you tell a lot of people you're going to sit on a boat for eight hours and maybe only have I don't know, two bites, three bites, you know, they're going to say that's that's a boring time. But to me, that time flies by. I mean, I said the last time we talked. These competitions, they you know, eight-hour day goes by in the blink of an eye. Like, you wouldn't believe – well, that four hours on, uh, you know,
0: surf fishing, it, it, it was a blink of an eye. Like, I didn't go to yeah. I bathroom. Mean, my wife's like, are you hungry? Like, you good? Do you want to, you know, I'm like, I'm like, why? How long has it been? I, my my G-Shock recently, uh, you know, died. It needs a new battery. So I didn't have my watch on. I'm like, I don't, I don't even care what time it is down here. Kind of just enjoying myself. And, um, but that brings up uh, like a. Uh, a great point, and I think you and I had been talking about this a little bit. You know, my grandfather um, used to talk about growing up on Long Island, and how low tide they would just go down to the little tidal areas and just with not even nets, I guess baskets, and just pick up fish that were just flopping around on the beach or in the you know the the mud, and. I couldn't imagine what that must have been like, right? Like just these wild fish, but that brought me down the path of it. I told you the story and I'll, I want to read a little excerpt from it, but like my great uncle who I'd never met, you know, I I had known a little bit about him as far as his name goes, but I was doing a little um, family research and turns out he, you know, I knew he had owned a boat called the Rosie and he owned part of Montauk or like house on a Montauk or something like that. And they were avid fishermen, and this was, you know, World War II time. So they were out there fishing, and um, my grandfather would tell me these stories, and he'd be like, "Yeah, you know, your uncle Harry was a famous fisherman." I said, well, "What are you talking about? you think it's just kind of, you know, tall tales or family?" <clears> throat> throat> and lo and behold, you know, I, I do, do a quick Google search during this um, search, and I found him. He's actually in a book that is written by an Alan Zelilio and Mara Boffson. I'm probably destroying that. And it's amazing, but true fishing tales. And it was published in
1: 2004.
0: <clears throat> I'm gonna read a quick little excerpt of it. It's, it's actually quite, a little, quite interesting. So, um, you know, his name's Harry Alfondre, great uncle. It says, having reeled in many tuna while fishing from his 30 foot boat, the Rosie, Harry Elfondry of Long Island decided he needed a new challenge to try and catch tuna from a rowboat. <laughs> okay. Um, that's ballsy. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. crazy. Uh, well, yeah. Good for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. after, after the Rosie towed a rowboat far from shore off of Bontoc on August 12, 1950, Alphandri hopped into a smaller craft alone and began chumming. Minutes later, he hooked into a big tuna. According to fellow anglers in nearby boats, there was some question as to whether Alfondre had the tuna or the tuna had Alfondre, because the fish was towing his boat around the fleet of weekend fishermen. Wrote <laughs> From R. camp of the New York Times outdoor writer at the time, Alfondre battled the tuna for three hours in the rowboat. Uh, <laughs> he was prepared in the middle to, of the ocean. <laughs> in the middle of the ocean off of Montauk. He was prepared to handle the fish without help and brought along a flying gaff tied with a rope. When he had maneuvered the big tuna alongside his frail craft, Alphandre made a sweep with the gaff, sinking the big gaff hook into the tuna's jaw. There was a flurry of water foam, tuna, and Alphandre, and when things quieted down, the reel was singing and the angler was still in the rowboat. The fight continued for another half hour, and when the fish once more had been brought to almost near the boat, or the boat almost to the fish, the line parted. Somewhere there is a nice tuna with a nice new gaff hook and several feet of rope hanging from its jaw. Alfondre admitted later that it might have posed a problem if he hadn't parted as getting the tuna into the boat may have been resulting in crowding things a bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, wow. um, That's a crazy story. Strange, but true fishing stories, man. Like
1: that's, I'm pretty sure I, I saw that. So I thought I told you this before. I saw I heard that somewhere else before. I don't remember if it was like a TV show. I'm pretty sure that there was a TV show that had a. I I think it was Dean Kane on there, the Superman guy. Yeah. Like uh what was it, what was it called? Like Mysteries at the Museums or something. I th- I think that story was on there because you told me this story and I'm like, I've I've heard this before. And yeah. um I, I couldn't remember where and I'm pretty sure it was on one of those shows but that's insane when you think about it to be out in the ocean with a ginormous di- tuna and a rowboat, just being dragged along i mean that's insane and if i if i remember correctly
0: there was um so i, I dug a little bit deeper i was looking for this new york times writer um his story and, and just the size of it. it the i believe it was over a thousand pound tuna and i, I yeah like god bless that's it <laughs>
1: for me (laughs) almost suicide in my mind like that's could
0: you you, could you imagine doing like even like a quarter of that in the canoe like no like a 500 pound fish in a canoe but like you would end
1: up in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean oh my
0: god we'd be done
1: screwed
0: did you see the video of the guy down in Florida I think it was he he did a little blow-up unicorn and he was catching tarpon from it and a tarpon's dragging. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. That's basically what this guy, what my great uncle was doing with a tuna fish. Like, a, you know, a thousand. In hours. 1950. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But he had a. No, that's that's in- insane. He had a history of doing some crazy things. I, I mean, my grandfather would always say to me, you know, he never really liked freshwater fishing. He was a saltwater fishing guy. His father apparently was an avid fly fisherman. I found out years, years later after I began. Um, but he was saying that he would spend his summers and like vacations and stuff like that with his uncle, Harry, and they would go, you know, fishing because he was a commercial fisherman. So, you know, he's like, oh, you don't understand what cold is. I was telling him how I was going out. Um, I don't know why I even have a home phone. it sometimes just rings randomly. Um, this is telemarketers. It is telemarketers. There you go. So Jasmine. (laughs) So he comes and he, he's talking about, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, well, you don't understand cold. I told him I was fishing that winter. You know, I was like, oh, I need new, you know, I need new waders that have, are a little bit bigger so I can add another, another layer of socks in it. And he's like, oh, you don't know what cold fishing is. And I was like, okay, of course, this is going to be like one of those stories your parents used to tell you. Like, you know, you used to walk uphill barefoot in the snow to get to school. Um, right. But he's telling a story about how he would go there on winter break and they would do winter codfish, fishing. And they would go out, and just like he did with the the tuna fish in the story, they would drag this rowboat behind the the 30-foot or whatever. And he's like, you know, we had these giant barrels that were just filled with, it was long line fishing, basically. And he's like, they just were filled with line and hooks. And he's like, you'd he be, they'd make my grandfather, who was in college at the time, get out, or high school, whatever he was, get out of the big boat into the little <laughs> <into> guy. <laughs> And they would leave him there, and he would, he would just basically be drifting. And he had a stick, and he would put the stick under a hook. Go like this, toss it over. Go like this, toss it over. Go like this, toss it over until all the lines were in the water, all the hooks were in the water. And he goes, and you would get to the end, and you would just be, you know, it'd be raining or drizzling or whatever. And he'd be like a sheet of ice, and everything would be a sheet of ice. So the Rosie would come back after the designated time, like an hour or whatever, because they would be doing this in a couple different areas, and pick up my grandfather, reattach the boat to the back of the Rosie and they would then, you know, go do whatever it was they were doing, hang out, drink, whatever. And then after a couple hours, it would be back to the rowboat where he would then handline everything back into the boat. Uh, He's like, you don't know, what tough. F- you don't know what tough fishing is. And I said, I don't want to know what that's like. I mean, I, I think we all watch the discovery channel in some way, shape or form. And we've seen, you know, some of these fishing shows and it's, that is a hard life, but could you imagine doing that in a tiny rowboat in the middle of the North Atlantic in the middle of winter?
1: No. And you to say, what, what years are we talking here, you know? So
0: this, so this was the wartime. So, you know, back in the 40s, I mean, my grandfather just oh, yeah. missed World War II because he was too young. So this had to have been high school time. And he said that, you know, they'd be out there and they had, you know, giant nets. I, I don't know basically commercial fishing where they drop the net in the water and drag it behind the boat and pull in all these fish. And he said there were times where like they would pull in landmines or, you know, mines, sea mines. And other times there were, you know, run-ins with German U-boats or, you know, attack planes and things like that where, you know, they never got attacked, but you know, you're out in the middle of the North Atlantic in the middle of a war where the US and the allies are trying to cross the Atlantic and the U-boats are trying to get to the United States and cause all this chaos. And you know, here you go, you just have a bunch of commercial fishermen out there trying to make a living. And, and you know, he was too old, I think my uncle Harry, at the point to be in the military. So um, my grandfather was too young. So right. That's,
1: that was my point. I mean, here we are, you know, he's out there in a rowboat when meanwhile there's German U-boats and landmines floating around. Right. And the winter gear they we had back then was nothing compared to what we have. I could not imagine how miserable that had to be. I mean.
0: Well, it made for hard people, man. And that's, I started watching. Sure that is very true. I started watching Port Protection. My buddy Mark recommended it to me and uh, I'm watching it on, on demand. And that's a couple of years old. There's only two seasons, but it takes place in Port Protection, Alaska. And these people are hard, hard mambo jambos, like, like. They don't yeah. have anything, but everything that they need, they have to go and provide for themselves. And you think like, that's pretty much, you know, that's what the whole world was doing, pre World War II, maybe, maybe pre
1: World War. II. Yeah, not that long ago, really. I mean, so I've been watching this um YouTube channel called Ghost Town Living. I don't know if you've seen this. This guy from, I think he was originally from like New York area, and then moved out to Austin. He's younger than us, early 30s. He bought Sierra Gordo, which is a ghost town um, that's right yeah. outside Death Valley. Have yeah, you ever I seen that show?
0: No, but I know what you're talking about. I saw an article about it.
1: So he bought it in, um, before he bought Sierra Gordo, he, this, this younger guy kind of became famous by buying this old historic home in uh, Austin, Texas and turned it into a hostel. So I. Huh you know he, he started a business and started making money and he, and he bought up and bought this ghost town and this guy really when he went out there to live he he had no idea how to live off the grid kind of and his youtube channel is just him out there completely by himself in some old haunted abandoned ghost town learning to live and off the grid and, and and build this town back up to what he wants it to be and it's it's crazy to see his evolution from when he um when COVID started, he decided, screw it. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to live. Yeah. And you can watch his progression from him leaving the city, first getting there to now, you know what, like a year and a half later. It's yeah. insane how much he's came along and and it's taught himself how, how to sustain and it, it's, you know all that kind of stuff. It's really cool to see. It, you know, it's kind of crazy. Like you said, when you think about it, It's not that long ago, people were, Doing everything for their livelihoods to stay alive, and, and how far away from that we've gotten to depending on computers and all this crazy stuff. You know, yeah, it it's, would- it's, it's,
0: it's nuts. You wonder, right? Like, you know, everything going on in the world with COVID and whatnot. It's like, I remember when it first started, people were like, Oh, God, if things really hit the fan mic, I'm coming to your house. And I said, Well, no, you're not. <laughs> 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 No, no, I like, like I, you know, I, I'm a, I like to, I liken myself to being a somewhat of a protector, right? Like I do, think that we have a responsibility to help those around us, and, and I'm all for that. But like, like if society, you think of like The Walking Dead, which I never watched, but I, you know, I hear a lot about it through the years, and just thinking, like, well, if you're gonna come to like a post-apocalyptic band of people, or you know, tribe, whatever you want to call it, like, you better bring some skills, right? And I don't care if it's exactly. dynamite's nunchuck skills or something like that. You better bring something.
1: Um, something to the table. Nunchuck no, skills it's good.
0: Yeah, that's always a good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I don't, most people don't have transferable skills to, you know, what I would call the the real world, like the, you know, in the postal apocalyptic world we'll say um but you know it's not i guess this goes back to like the fishing thing and it's uh i don't know man like it's it's gotta be hard i mean but then again if you were in a post-apocalyptic society you wouldn't be using your fishing rod typically to fish right like you would be fishing small fish often you would be hunting small hunting often you would probably be damming up the river like you know native americans used to do and trapping fish in a shallow area and then picking them up um but most people don't know that i mean they're not going to know that that's what you should do Um, or netting
1: though but yeah you're right i mean it's it's when you think about it most people nowadays don't aren't really in tune with i guess you could say the outdoors and outdoor kind of living you know that survival living like where I live at, if grocery stores just shut down, you know, people would be screwed. They would have yeah. no idea how to go out there, and get their own food, kill it, you know, clean it and cook it. You know, how much yeah. of the population would just die off from starvation? Yeah. It's much it's, it's when you think well, about it.
0: Well, honestly, it's not even just the food, right? Like, I, I just saw something. My Donna sent me an article about um, here in New Jersey. Apparently, there's going to be a toilet paper shortage. They're already calling it. And it's stupid because people are like, oh, my God, what am I going to do to wipe myself in the middle of, the, like, the revamping of the coronavirus? And it's like, well, look, like, number one, you buy what you need, and there shouldn't ever be technically a shortage. Don't stockpile. Don't be that guy or girl. Um, but also, like, there wasn't always toilet paper. What do you think they did? Like, No.
1: Chris, you go back to – I mean – you go back to even like the 50s, people living out in the Midwest, there was no to- there were still crapping in our houses. <laughs> and was the- newspapers right. and th- th- I remember when the whole COVID thing started, that blew my mind, how people went nuts over toilet paper and paper towels. Yeah. It's-, it's like, really? I mean, if the world's ending, th- this is what you're going for. Paper towels and toilet paper. I remember, I-, I never bought into the whole stockpiling and going nuts when the COVID thing happened. But I did go into the can aisle just just to look around to see if people are actually buying canned foods and stuff like that, things that had long shelf dates. They weren't. I mean everybody was buying TV dinners, you know, <laughs> toilet paper TV dinners and things that expire in a week. It's like, oh well that's that's but, great. But
0: yeah. don't get me wrong, like he, you know, I'm in my workspace, we'll call this my my man cave right downstairs. And you know, outside of here I've I've got a shelf and I've got some some food in it. Like, but it's canned goods like stuff that should last a while and You know since we haven't needed it like you start to cycle through it and begin to use things things that we don't really necessarily want to eat but we bought because we knew that you know it was high protein or whatever nutritional value like we donated some of that stuff because we didn't want it to go bad um but like i saw people walking through the local supermarket with i think there were like 10 pound bags of rice now i'm talking shopping cart full of rice and i said you know that's not gonna last forever number one and number two you're gonna have to put that somewhere in like a waterproof container otherwise you're screwed I know I had a bag of rice down here and I had put it inside a ziploc bag and it didn't it didn't last so you uh, you got to be a little bit smarter with your choices in, in, in deciding on what actually constitutes as a survival um, type of food a survival type of skill um, and then of course, how do you take care of yourself in these situations and you know I'm not a hunter but i I'm pretty sure I could figure out how the heck to do it if I needed to
1: yeah I mean it's, it's I mean I'm sure you could it, it doesn't it's not rocket science it, right. you know, but it, it, it's just crazy like you remember that show Doomsday Preppers? like yeah some of those people on there did you ever see that town it's like an undertown underground high rise they build out it won't tell you where it is. No, like, the pods are going for, like, $1.3 million. And some of that stuff's a little crazy, but... Yeah. I mean, I get it to an extent, but, you know, to me, looking around, it is kind of sad to see how far away we've gotten from an easier living to now this... Um, where we're at now. Um, the guy in that, that Ghost Town Living show, actually, one of his last episodes, um, he owns a company. He started himself. And uh, uh, apparently, he's doing pretty well with it. And he started talking about something you and I talk about: how people nowadays go into business looking just to start something up and turn around and sell it, which that is insane to me—absolutely insane—that you put all this time and effort into your business to, to get it thriving just to turn around and sell it. And you know, yeah. he was talking about that too: how sad the, the the business world is becoming with stuff like that. You know, these people. Come up with these brilliant ideas, or even just a decent idea, just to turn around and sell to—I don't know—pick one big corporation, right? You know, and, and giving away their their baby just for money—it's—it's—it's it's, it's all nuts.
0: Well, I think it's—you know—it's this societal problem that we're having, where we just think that you know the more and more and more and more is is important. I mean, I was talking with my buddy Neil; we we were recording a podcast that unfortunately is not making it this week because um, we had some audio issues, so we need to re-record next week. Um, but we were talking a little bit about how getting into doing certain things, like like how some people just aren't okay with um, just figuring things out that they need their hands held, which is which is fine. I'm not demeaning that at all. Um, but it's a it's a situation where comfort is really killer right? Like your comfort is literally killing you little by little. I think, you know, that's one thing that we keep hearing about, right? Wim Hof talking about, you know, I'm not advocating it, but he talks about going out and, you know, taking polar plunges and walking around barefoot and shirtless in the snow. And, you know, he's saying like, put yourself in things that make you uncomfortable, like not just mentally, but physically as well. And and do them because it makes you better as a person. And I think a lot of our problems in society have to do with the fact that we don't like discomfort, right? Like it's it's usually, a, discomfort's usually a sign, we'll say, you know, um, we've, we've learned it's been passed down, fight or flight type situation where we, the discomfort tells us to stop, like this isn't good, we need to get away from it. but. Actually what it does is it makes us harder as people and makes us appreciate things a little bit better as well. So, you know, go on that extra long hike, you know, be a little bit uncomfortable. It's only going to push yourself, push yourself a little bit. It's only going to make your life more enjoyable when you come home and you have the creature comforts, you have the heat, you have, you know, whatever.
1: Get rid of that. But I agree with you. It's, it's, you know, watching that show, it's really opened me up to, you know, Wanted to go almost go back to those times where you were happy with just you know, what you had, and it wasn't so much money, 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 work, 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 work you know, for the man type of deal,
0: right? Well, I think that's why, like, a lot of what it is we do is is like, even though we we fish and we do everything, yeah, I've got a handful of rods, but typically, I, I don't most I do, I don't use fancy equipment, I never have. I mean, you think about going back to when you were a kid when you really enjoyed everything you didn't know the difference between a $20 rod and reel and, you know, a $300 reel and rod. It it didn't make a difference if you were catching fish. And it's same thing with hiking. Like Neil and I were talking about specifically hiking and saying like, like people think that you need to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a nice pair of hiking boots. It's, yes, they're great. If you can afford it, you can do it, but you do not need that. That is not a barrier to entry to go outside and yeah. to do things. And when you start to think like i need all these things let me go and i need to work extra hard or i need more money or i need a raise or i need to do this or that to make more money so that i can then go buy more things that's not going to make you happy and that's not going to make the outdoors any more accessible or any better for you i mean in some right, cases exactly. yes you need boots you need shoes you need you know pants you need long johns if you're doing stuff in the winter if you're fishing and you're waiting you need Waiters, you need wading boots. There there are certain things that you do need in certain situations. But I could have easily fished the other day, like I said, from the bank. And I would have been okay. It was not an ideal situation. It would have been a hell of a lot better if I had my waiters standing in the middle, casting upstream. But guess what? I didn't have them with me, and I still made it work. And that's probably exactly. why I didn't catch any fish, which is...
1: <laughs> um, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have a nice fishing equipment. And I had uh, I don't know thirty dollar rod and reel combination you get at Walmart, you know, nothing nothing special. And I could still catch fish. You know. And it was still good. And I don't have hiking boots and I still go hike and I still have fun. So
0: right. It's this whole it's I don't want to say it's making an excuse, but I think there's just this misconception that, you know, you need things in order to do more things. And it, you know, you're talking a little bit about business, right? Like Really, when you create a business, you can, sh- you know, they, what do they call it? Um, sh- Strap it or whatever. Uh, you basically, create it from nothing and not spend a lot of money creating a business. And you really don't need a lot, just like you know, a lot of these outdoor activities. I mean, you see guys in it was, I think it was Jeremy Wade when he was in, um, uh, I forget where he was in Africa, but they were fishing a river and there were these guys hand lining for fish in the river. I mean, they literally just had fish and they had oak on it. And guess what? They were catching fish and they were catching massive fish. So if, you know, I'm not advocating or saying that you should do that, but you could easily go out there and just get some line, wrap it around your hand, toss it in the river. I think we told the story last time about brook trout fishing, right? Up in the Alleghenies. Like I caught fish hand lining. Like it was fun. It was a lot of fun to do that. Um, But of course, some things just make life a little bit easier and that's what you're paying for.
1: The comforts.
0: Yeah, man. Um, the comforts.
1: So let's keep going. Have you seen yeah. that
0: show Sierra Gorda?
1: No, I, I do definitely have to adults. check it out. Dude, the guy, he, um, it, the last episode hit me because he was talking, he started some type of startup and he, out of college, and when he bought Sierra Gordo, all these people are saying, "Oh, some rich kid bought Sierra Gordo." He's like, "I'm not rich. His parents were two school teachers." He's, he's like, "I started a company." He's like, "I refused to sell it," and he's like, "And I made my money." And he bought this haunted ass ghost town. It's crazy because he's talking when he first moved up there. He's like, I, "I didn't believe in ghosts." He's like, "I was a firm no." He's like, "After three days of being in here." He's like, I'm definitely not a firm no anymore. Uh,
0: well, you know, yeah, you, you know, you know all about how haunting houses are in the, the state of, of my belief in that.
1: Um, yeah, but, I mean, could you imagine, like, you've been out to the Midwest, like, he, he is so far from everything. So the road up to Sierra Gorda, up the mountain to Sierra Gorda, it's, yeah. it's seven and a half miles to get to the town. And that's a private, you say road, it's it's not a road. It, you know, it's dirt, switchback, old carriage carts from like, you know, the 1800s up to there. So once he gets to the bottom of the seven mile road, seven and a half mile road, he still then has like another 40 minute drive into quote, air quote, town for nice. the grocery store. And it is, and it's, you no, know, it's not a town like, you know, when you or I say town, you know, it's not even like the small town by me, which is just a small little town. I mean, it's one little restaurant, one little general store, and a hardware store. That's the town. Hmm. And he just picked up and, God damn it, and just just went. You no, know, dropped the notice, bought a ghost town, and I mean, the guy had no building skills. Like he didn't really know how to build too much. <laughs>
0: Well there's something that's very american right or like even i guess you could say human nature about that that you just like you know manifest destiny like move west and and prove yourself and and build something yeah. f- with your own hands and and make it yours and nobody can take it away from you
1: and exactly it,
0: it, it's cool there's something very romantic about that and uh, you know god bless him for doing that man that's that's really cool i'll have to check it out i have not watched that i've been
1: it's called been... ghost town living i think i mean I, I found it i don't know how i found it it just popped up on youtube and, and um
0: i'm going on youtube I started right watching now it. Look,
1: it's called ghost town living and never stopped watching it the guy's nuts like he's exploring these old mines by himself out there now like it's insane how far he's came from day one to till now it's 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 crazy and the stuff he's finding because it's been abandoned all that time up there by itself you know he's going in these mines and, and finding mining jackets and complete mining jackets from like the 1800s um He's looking for old Levi's, right? Right now, all oh, those Levi's. things are so much money, man. I oh, I there. went
0: out west. I was looking. I was like, I was like, hey guys, can I look at your barn real quick? I want to look for a pair of Levi's in there. Um, and uh, oh, Donald, they're there. He, Donald, Donald looking constantly me, like,
1: in the mines, mines finding like pieces of them. Like they're there.
0: It's nuts. Well, my my buddy, um, growing up, he owned a mine here in Jersey. I think they sold oh. it since his father died, but um, he he would talk about going up there and just like exploring these mines that like these tunnels that no one had been down and I couldn't know yeah. how long. And it's like, they, they were a little bit of Jeep nuts. So they had, um, they had these Willie's Jeeps and they would just be driving up and down these, these mining tunnels and, you know, whatever they were doing up there, which was just fun. And it sounded like it was a really cool thing, but he said they would always be finding things that people left behind like old tools. Yeah clothes and lunch boxes and ah, that's cool that's, man that's really cool
1: that's what this guy's doing like he's going into these mines I mean there, I forget how many miles and miles of mines there's up there and, and he's just we'll go into these mines I mean and these aren't new mines like you know these are old mines I think they started mining out there I think like in 18 don't don't nail me down to this but I think it was the 50s it was right before The civil war and then in 1864 is when sierra gordo became an official town so that's how old these mines are and he goes in there and he's i mean you're finding stuff that it literally looks like they just left there like lunch boxes um dynamite old dynamite tools everything it's crazy to think about i I couldn't go into a mine like that no not
0: not alone i mean he so i'm on his i'm on his youtube right now and it's um I spent my life savings on an abandoned ghost mine. Yeah. As of two weeks ago, he had one month seven living alone in a ghost town. I mean, obviously he's not there all the time. I mean, I've been in places in the Southwest where you do not have cell signal. I don't know exactly where this no, is. No, no.
1: He's, so he's got them. Um, the best part is, the best part of it is he explains it because somebody was asking like, how do you have internet service? Right. So he has one of those like hot hotspots. The best part is, Two mountains ranges over. There's a, um, I forget what company it is, but they have a, um, a tower there. So he has basically up there, he, he can pick up the equivalent, he says, of like uh, 56K or whatever, the old internet. <laughs> like the dial-up we had. Yeah, yeah. So when he uploads these videos, he literally, he films them, because he did it in the day of life where he shows it. He drives into the town, which is like, you know, a day trip in itself. Yeah, he rents a room at the local motel, which has faster internet, and he has to spend the night there to upload the movie. Wow, that's the,
0: <laughs> that's pretty crazy, man. But this
1: guy's fucking this guy's Excuse my friend, this guy's nuts. That's I but mean, that's cool. awesome.
0: If that's what you want to do, man, like good for yeah. you. Like I, I have not like these people that move in the port protection, like moving up into the wilds and what they call the bush of Alaska. Like good for you, man. Like. I, like, there's something romantic about it. I, you know, got Donna watching and she's just like, she's like, never, never. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, that, that, there's that a single me. woman the last that moved shows. Up there, man. Like, like a yep. single
0: woman moved up there and she's like, I don't have any skills. So they're trying to teach her literally everything there is to know about living this sustenance lifestyle, like fishing, hunting, like she never shot guns yeah. before. It's like, you are, and they make
1: it worse they're in the bush of alaska <laughs> right like wow like it's,
0: that is good for you but like you're lucky that the town is so like close-knit that they all take care of each other because that's I mean, not she like would have been dead Yeah. oh my god could you imagine but good for her she's learning man she pays attention yeah but, you know and this is years ago i don't know where she is today but like i'm on i think like episode eight or nine of season one and it's like it's like you're insane like you've you moved someplace where you probably shouldn't go like like in my opinion like I would I would probably I think I would be okay I don't think I would want to do it forever but I think I'd be okay for a little while
1: um I'm to the point where I'm like you know what I think I can do that (laughs) (laughs) I think I think we would as long as I I can fish my tournaments you know I'll be happy are there tournaments in Alaska I see I already figured out I'd have to travel real real (laughs) far for my tournaments Oh, could you imagine man
0: they were they were long lining for a halibut and this guy caught one in his small little like john style boat uh v-hole and i was like man that halibut's almost bigger than his boat
1: like yeah it's nuts oh. I mean, they're, they're, they're nuts i mean that's your gordon show i'm telling you like i don't i don't get into tv shows or youtube shows like that i sort of watched it and i'm like this guy like at first i'm like he's not gonna make it like he's not gonna make it there was a caretaker on property. Who was there for when he wasn't there um, before he moved up there full time? But when COVID hit, the caretaker was like, I want to go home to my wife, you know, be with my wife. So, you know, at that point, I was like, this guy's not going to make it. (laughs) Like, he's not going to make it. Like, the first, when he moved up there for good, it was, I think it was like in, it was when the whole COVID thing started. So we're talking, I don't know, it was like, april whatever it was but it was snowing once he started up the road and he has like a tacoma it was a two-wheel drive and he got stuck like in four inches of snow to the top and i'm sitting here thinking this guy there's no way this guy's gonna make this yeah. <laughs> he's not gonna live like he's not gonna live but he talks about that in one of his episodes where he goes back and, and how far he's came and you know just by being put out there in the elements and he also talks about you know how, how how your 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 views and life change, and, and and how nice it is to, to get back to a simpler type of way, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's something just, about
0: that, right? I, I
1: don't know, man. Oh, 100 percent. I, I, you know, I don't like all. You know, I'm not a big computer guy, and I'm you know, not not up to date with all the technology. And, you know, it's just not for me. It, it's not not fun, and it kind of freaks me out you know seeing people let computers decide everything for them or tell them what to do or figure everything out for them you know to me it kind of takes away your uh your intelligence in a way you know it dumbs you down you know yeah we're
0: all going to turn into the the characters from wally right like
1: (laughs) right exactly
0: over overweight on carts drinking you know massive sodas and Really, I mean, stupid. when you go
1: back and watch that movie, you could you tell yourself, like, I can see this happening, like, yeah. truly see this happening, like, yeah, you know. But, but I think people depend. Yeah. I, I don't, but I, I, I was gonna say, I I think
0: that the human spirit, for the most part, will persevere. I think we, true, there's a large subset of people who are like, listen, I love my creature comforts, don't get me wrong, however. Like, I also know that I don't want something else dictating my life, right? Like, I'm not, I don't, I'm a technologist, you know, we talk about a lot of things that I do for work and it's like, like, that's cool. It's, it's a necessity, but like, I used to come home, I remember I was working for a company and a buddy who worked for another tech company and he would say like, oh, he's like, man, he's like, I go home and this is the days of Blackberries, And he's like, I don't even look at my BlackBerry. I don't turn on my computer he's like, I don't even really watch TV. He's like, I, I sit down on veg and he, like meditate and go to bed. And I said, what's wrong with you? Like, Are you kidding me? And this was, I was early on in my tech career. And, you know, after like two years, I was like, dude, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't like working all day on my computer. You know, I was taking, you know, in the early days I was tech support. So I was receiving phone calls, you know, I was doing video calls, I was doing whatever. And it's like, I don't even want to look at my phone. I don't want a phone call. Like I just want to be left alone at, you know, had Toby at the time. So it was like, I just want to go home to my dog, play with my dog, take him for a nice long walk. And that's it. Read a book, go to bed. Exactly. And yeah, you, you have to balance it, right. You can't go too far one way or the other. And I think that a large number of people would, would agree with you and I, I would, I would, if I was a betting man, I would say.
1: I would, I would hope so, but th- there's some people, you know, that if if I don't know, God forbid, cell service would go down, th- th- the world would end. The thing was, I mean, I'm not old. You're not really old, but we're from the days when we were teenagers. We didn't have cell phones, yeah. so if you called somebody's house and they weren't there, like that was it. They weren't there, you know.
0: Right, and you may not get a phone for to phone get phone.
1: home. Right. right, You may not get a phone
0: call back, or the way or, that you found out that you know where everyone was was you started riding your bike or walking around and you found where everyone else's bikes were, and you were like, "Oh, they're all here today." Okay, cool. This yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Or like if you were in high school and you worked, for example, and you got off work at like ten o'clock on Friday, you want to find where all your friends are at. You know, good luck. There was no cell phones. Yeah, you had to figure out where they were at. Like, yeah. Nowadays, everybody's so connected through their phone. To me, it's it's just. I don't,
0: Well, we get it. It's kind of nice sometimes to get
1: away from that.
0: Well, you do. You need to get away from it, Joe. And that's, uh, Neil and I were talking a little bit about that, like taking trips and like disconnecting. It it was, um, you know, I went camping in Lake George last two months ago now. Yeah. Really, right? And it's like, I was like, I hope to God I don't have cell signal up here. And, you know, lo and behold, I did. But, you know, like it's nice to check in with family, let them know you're okay, but you also have to make a concerted effort all the time to put down the device unplug read a book listen to a book if you have to but like really try and disconnect from
1: the the major one of the nice things with the tournaments like for example the flw um they don't you're not allowed to be on your cell phone unless it's an emergency Mm. um there's, there's a couple a couple um times you can use it like emergencies you know in this in a pinch you're allowed to use it but they don't want you on the phone and to me that's one of the nice parts also outdoor fishing is not having your phone constantly go off and, and yeah. not having to look at it you know and just putting it down it, it it's it's kind of comforting it's like my own time you're out there and you're just in your head with the fish kind of you know yeah it, it's it's nice
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, when I go fishing, I typically try not to take it out. That's why a lot of times I don't have any pictures or videos or anything when I do go. And, you know, my, I have a couple of friends who say, well, you don't catch fish. It's like, well, yeah, I do. I just don't take pictures of them. Like I, I, you know, get them back in the water and they're, they're good to go. It's just, you know, I'm not going to live my life viewing everything through the lens of a camera or through the lens of my phone or, you know, sitting there and texting. There are times where you know, Donna would say that I have a little bit of a phone addiction, but I, you know, like I don't. Oh, like, well,
1: everybody gets caught up in but, refreshing Twitter or right. Instagram or
0: right, and whatever. But, but you really, uh, like, com. <laughs> well, m- maybe, it's your, <laughs> maybe it's your maybe it's your somebody's son who's you know running for.
1: Delete <laughs> that out. We I'll, banned.
0: Oh uh, no, I might get banned and I might get taken out, but um, no. But uh, you. you really do have to make a concerted effort to disconnect and you have to make a concerted effort to to live a better life and a fulfilled life by communicating face-to-face with people, interacting with people. I mean, this coronavirus lockdown here in the state is getting worse again. It's like, you know, I, I know people who still like up until a month ago, hadn't seen another soul except for like, from a distance. Like this kid was like, I haven't hugged my mom since you know, this older guy, he's like, his mom's older. He's like, I haven't hugged my mom or like, you know, told her everything was okay or gotten more than like closer than 10 feet from her since February. And I said, Yeah, that's, that's, that's not crazy. healthy, man. Like, and he doesn't, he's not married. He doesn't have any, like, you know, he doesn't have kids or anything. So it's like, who are you interacting with? Because that's got to do something to you psychologically. And on the flip side, communicating just through devices does the same exact thing, man. Like it, this is I love talking to you, but we have great conversations on the phone and you know here when we're recording this, but like like when we're together, it's a whole different atmosphere. It's like a whole different like conversation that happens because you, you feed off of each other, you see each other, you can like you get that body language that you can't even see through video. Um and yeah, which brings me to you know, my last point. It's like you Get your ass up here, man! <laughs> this this guy. Exactly. This guy caught a um a salmon the other day up for at my lake. He posted yeah. a video. He's like, "Oh, it's my second cast of the day, and I caught one." I'm like, "You bastard! Like, you bastard!" He's like, "They were blitzing on the surface again. Like that time I was out there with my nephew, and he yeah. like, casted a spoon out there
1: and, and caught him right on the surface. Nice size. Sometimes, just, like I said before." Some of my better fishing days are the days I go out there with no expectations and, you know, and it just happens. Um, I'll, I'll use the same analogy as before. I can't tell you how many tournaments I've fished with boaters when the boater will be like, you know, they'll be up there practicing all week. And they'll tell you, I've been up here all week and I haven't caught a thing. And what ends up happening is those are the tournament days. We end up catching tons of them where in the opposite situation is where I'll have a boater who'll say they've been up there all week practicing and oh I'm on them you know oh I'm on 20 pounds a day at least we'll yeah. get out there and just do nothing yeah. you know it's just it's weird how that works it's well that's where it enjoying really is. things
0: really is important Thank yeah. enjoying it for doing it not for the outcomes right yeah that's cool what yeah. so oh, yeah. Joe what do you have coming up um you know I think I remember correctly you said that there were no more tournaments going on right now up here.
1: So around me, I think there's another local tournament, like another club tournament coming up um, around Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, I got to look into that, but as far as like the bigger uh, tournament series, I think the next one for me will be in January and in January, hopefully. And that will be down south. Um, okay. I, th- I was looking at the schedule the other day for the FLW Toyota Series, the Southern League, and I think they have an event in February down in Florida that I was interested in Nice. Um, that I want to do. But then I was looking at the, I think it's, I forget if it's called the Midwest or whatever. It's like the Texas area. They have some in January. Um, and that's, I want to try to do at least one of those Um just to get the season started early, um, and I was going to start looking down south too because they do have smaller tournaments down south that you know go through the winter and stuff like that. Yeah, and I wanted to look in, into that and you know see if I can get into some. Um, because right now, you know, for me, this, here comes my boring time. No, no fishing. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> the reservoirs by me close real early it yeah. um, it's actually been closed for over two and a half weeks now and that's the place where you know you can rent a boat and go out just electric boat but at least you, you can get out in a boat um could you know, you? if i own a boat i could still go out to the potomac or the chesapeake and, and fish through the winter so
0: yeah that's what brian brian went down um he couldn't make it on sunday with me down to sandy hook but he went on monday and he went to another beach and he was saying like He's like, bro, like, I didn't even have a bite. He's like, we need a boat. Like, he's like, the, he's on the same forums as me. He's like, bro, like, I was watching these videos of these guys catching, you know, beautiful stripers and everything, like, just far enough
1: offshore where, like, we couldn't reach them. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, changes your life, man. Don't get me wrong. Shore fish, I mean, you could definitely catch them fishing from the shore. It's, it's just so much... It's definitely a tougher game, you know? You, you can't get to the places you you need to be um and you also can't move as freely you know Um, like with bass fishing with the trolling motor like that that's a game changer just to be able to constantly move at a slow speed you know just covering water um i i really want to get a boat here like brian said it's just it's a game changer it it makes life easier yeah Um, you know, it looks like we're we're gonna have some nice weather next week too. Like you know, in the fifties.
0: The fifties is not bad. We're we're supposed to get something like that. I think um, we're supposed to have about a bout of bad weather this weekend, and then we're gonna get back up there. So I feel you there, man. Because um, right now it's forty seven. It's rainy. Looks like we're down to forty two overnight, and. It's just going to be miserable. Um, it's been raining for like two days. Saturday, we're looking at a little bit of sun. Um, yeah. And then Monday, Sunday's actually actually supposed to be 59 but p.m. rain. I was going to try and head down the shore and do some some more fishing. But um, my buddy's going out on a party boat tomorrow for, for stripers.
1: Well, they're going to catch them. Uh, in the rain, yeah, man. It's, it's um, yeah, for it's, sure. I mean, uh, this, this is the time of year, you know. For the rockfish or stripers whatever you guys call them up there it's, this is the time of year um, so you
0: say you say rockfish and i think a rock bass right which are those <laughs> those little huh? panfish. you say yeah. you say rockfish, and i think of that and it's um but yeah I've, i always forget that you call it something else it's kind of yeah, like, in maryland
1: we call them rockfish yeah strike bass people call it rockfish
0: I, it's it's always interesting to me the way that things are called different things elsewhere right like i don't
1: know It's crazy Oh. Is weird. I think Maryland is the really one of the only states, if not the only state, that calls striped bass rockfish. I mean, but like you said, when you call them rockfish, people think of like rock bass or, right. you know, they're not thinking stripers, you know.
0: No, because you told oh. me, I remember you, you texted me one day that you were out on the water with some friends to striper fishing but you said rock rock, rock fishing he was like i was like oh cool man you're going for yeah. <laughs> so, you know like oh yeah you're gonna catch some perch while you're out there too bro Great. yeah, yeah you're, cool. you're trolling for perch huh yeah. like all right man um, but you know did you send me pictures like oh
1: that's what he means. yeah there you go yeah striped bass yeah it's weird because we have them like liberty reservoir has them um and they're the hybrid bass, which, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it is a strike. But people call them strike bass. They won't call them rockfish in there. But if they're in the bay, they're rockfish. That's what we call them. Um, but, the, you know, we used to call October in November. Well, we called October. We used to call it Rocktober. And we would go all the way in December because, you know, the rockfish. We used to go down to Capicta Peak, Virginia. It's where the bay meets the ocean. Yes. And the rockfish come in off the ocean to go back in the bay to spawn. And if you went out there anytime, you know, middle October through November, you were catching ginormous rockfish. I think the biggest we got, I have two pictures of them. I think the one was like 51 inches, 48 pounds. And the other one was like 48 inches and 46 pounds. You know, they were almost pound per inch, just huge rock, striped bass, excuse me. And um, everybody, uses eel out there that time of year which i i hate touching and hooking them up but We're you just about take live eel. Like, yeah you yeah. use
0: live eel. they're like oh you, what are you using And i'm like i was using lures, man and they're like no you gotta use eel i'm not
1: yeah <laughs> like, I'm not you that. had to use eel and you take them and like you hook them like right through the head the eel, and the rockfish just destroy them really yeah um it and and you know they love those things it's like doritos to them yeah it's insane i would never thought to fish with them and apparently you know the area we were in there was only certain times a year you could fish with live eel but they're the grossest looking things Hmm. i wear gloves when i put them on the hooks because i hate touching them (laughs) (laughs) because like they wrap around you and i
0: won't i won't say anything man we we fished once for um weak fish which i found out is um Speckled sea trout, I believe. Yep. Uh, which I had no idea that's what it was when we were fishing for it, and we were using uh, bloodworms, and I'm like, I do not want to touch this thing, man. Like that's, just, <laughs> like, I'm like why is it called a bloodworm? Number one, I, mean, I was a kid. I mean, nowadays I touch pretty much anything, but it's like, like, yeah, I some things.
1: Dude, there's eels. They just look like a snake, kind of, and they like wrap around you, and they're just those. Oh no. Yeah, I did not like that. But well, like Joe you said, "I'll, i watch lots of stuff." But
0: we are we are coming up on the um, on the hour here, man. I, I really appreciate you joining. I, I you know I know we we talked a little bit about getting you on. Um, I think you and I always have some great conversations. It's always just nice, kind of
1: talking. Yeah, we about go it, all over you. the place, huh?
0: Yeah, but I, I love you know, it. You never
1: know if I'm on if I'm on a, you know, I might end up in a grocery store somewhere, you know. <laughs> or <laughs> or your dog might be going crazy behind you, or. or the, oh yeah I, oh, Ranger. sorry guys but the grocery store that was the last uh, last minute trip I forgot <laughs> I needed to take
0: <laughs> no worries man that's why we're not on video today so um, I know you miss our beautiful faces we'll get you on uh, we'll get we you on again in a
1: couple weeks we can try a video tomorrow or something sure. <laughs> yeah why not we'll figure something out yeah. I always got stuff to talk about
0: yeah I always have stuff to talk about with
1: you two, man and it's uh, always
0: a pleasure I love you brother and um, love you too man We'll talk soon. All right. All right, buddy. See ya. All right, Joe. Bye. All right. So that was Hacker Outdoors with Joey McCormick. If you like what you heard, please give us a like or leave a comment below. Please give me a follow on Instagram at Hacker Outdoors and YouTube at Hacker Brothers Adventures. Joey McCormick can be found all over the web. I will go ahead and link to his Instagram below where you can definitely give him a follow. And I would definitely have him back on so we can continue our conversation about some random topics, get back into some fishing a little bit, And maybe tell a few more of those stories about the family and what they've been up to over the years in this fishing environment of ours. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.